0: Mike Johnson, the congressional extra currently playing the role of speaker, decided to play politics with aid to Israel in his first act. We're not surprised, but we are worried. Gangsters don't hire family members for their qualifications, they hire family members for their silence. That's why Trump hired Jared and Ivanka, and yet a court is about to force Ivanka to break her silence. Ron DeSantis has discovered that Trump is older than him, and he's attempting to make a big deal of it. Too little, too late, Ron, but we'll examine the evidence to see if Trump is slipping or if he's simply always been dim. Finally, did you know there's yet another way we can end up with Trump as president, not just by losing the election, but by shenanigans, and there's a real political group out there trying to make it happen. It's pretty scary, you need to know about it, and we'll talk to someone who's trying to stop it. Welcome back to the podcast that helps you, the 54% of the country that votes for progress in every election, convince your conservative friends and family members to join our majority. This is Majority54.
1: Well, Jason, we have our new speaker and he's busy. Uh, he, you know, One of the major questions we had is that whoever emerges from the speaker vote had to quickly decide how they're going to handle this sort of government shutdown that was looming. And Speaker Johnson has made it clear that he's, he's tacking rights. Uh, He wants to force a standalone vote on aid for Israel and decouple it from Ukraine aid. And he wants to go further in in a really provocative poison pill by saying that whatever aid they provide needs to be offset by cuts to the IRS. Let's go to this clip of Speaker Johnson uh, on Fox News.
2: My intention and my desire in the first uh, draft of this bill is to take some of the money that has been set aside for the IR- building and bulking up the IRS right now. They have about $67 billion in that fund, and we'll, we'll try to take the 14.5 necessary for this immediate and urgent need.
0: Can we, before we even get into this, can we talk about the whole anti-IRS thing? Um, yes. Do you remember... The Simpsons episode where the the Simpsons visit Washington, D.C., and they drive by uh, the IRS and someone says, look, it's the IRS. And Homer just leans out the window and goes, boo. It's a very funny <laughs> little bit. But that to me seems about as deeply as they've thought in terms of their anti-IRS stuff, right? I mean, it's they're just like, we don't like the tax cops. Is it This that is simple? what they
1: want. They want... They want to say, and I've already seen this, these lines, the Democrats care more about the IRS than they do about Israel. That's the line that they want to push. That's basically as deep as this goes. They just want that line.
0: I also but think in that, general, like, they've j- like, well, I just in general, they've been against funding the IRS. Like, it's like, yeah. rather than argue whether, they're like, rather than argue whether the taxes should be levied, they're like, we just hate the people who collect the taxes like this. It's biblical.
1: I it is weird. And I think they're playing on it's just like not a popular agency, you know, yeah. and I it, they're just going after civil servants who carry out the laws that they pass. Uh, and and I think that they also don't want to own their own deficit talk. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. defunding the IRS increases the deficit, which is just, you know, maybe you know, exhibit a thousand in Republican hypocrisy when it comes to spending. Um, but Chuck, Chuck Schumer was asked about this and what he would do, because, you know, he'd be sent said legislation over in the Senate. Uh, let's go to that clip.
2: Yes, Nope. no. no is, him. Your, is your end goal to force uh, Speaker Johnson's hand here? Our end goal is to get something done. There's, there's, there, there are dictators who are r- looking for the United States to fail. There's Putin. There's Xi. There's the people in Iran. So we have to be strong and united at this time in our history and support our allies. Leadership, yes. At this
0: point, would you say that
3: whatever the House sends over at the end of this week, it's just Israel instead of the
2: Look, the bottom line is it's not a serious proposal.
3: Leadership, yes.
0: yes. I' say to folks within your own
2: calling for a ceasefire and also calling um, Look, President Biden to be more important against Israel's actions. Okay, there are three goals that Israel must have. To radically reduce the threat of Hamas, to save the hostages, and to minimize innocent civilian casualties. Er, last the, one.
1: The, the commandant is, has been hospitalized, so the, the commandant has <laughs> Would you be willing to bring the number
2: two uh, Look, the the, I'd say this. The, new, the crisis that we have makes it even more apparent that Republicans themselves should get Tuberville, Tuberville to back off what he is doing now more than ever, and I hope that they will. What happened with the Marine Corps Commandant shows just the reason we should, we don't know who the next person is who might get ill or whatever, so we need to do everybody and they got to push everybody and we'll be, um, we'll be, uh, pushing the republicans to do that
1: so three things about this none of which have anything to do with substance uh first of all schumer we're going to talk about age in a little bit i mean that guy has a lot of energy but i love three things about (laughs) this he's a machine one is one thing is like when he takes questions, he goes, No, no, not you, you. I wanna know who that was that he passed over. I'm sure it's somebody like in the right wing press. That's funny to me. The second thing that's funny about this is he um he's like Putin, gee, whoever the hell is running around. Like he forgot, like nobody about <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think I think on the substance, I thought it's good to sort of to kind of talk about the stakes here. know and i thought that was really powerful when he's like look people are counting on us to be adults
0: yeah and to be united his point is like you're acting your questions work on the premise of the house and the senate meaning the republicans and the democrats are going to be opposed to one another he's like as if we're the enemies and he's like he's trying to make the point you know we've got adversaries china russia russia you could argue is in enemy territory now and same with iran he's like that's the that's how this is supposed to work man like i'm not supposed to have to stand here and deal with stupid questions about stupid unserious ideas like not passing budgets and taking money out of the irs to send it to israel and and trying to uh leverage that against money for ukraine he's he's like why are we doing this i mean i can see his frustration he's doing a good job of sticking with the talking points that he committed to you know three things i'll tell you that have really nothing to do with answering your question i mean that's the job but yeah it's i think the point he's trying to make is like we're supposed to be like america against the bad guys not america so busy fighting one another that the bad guys get off easy
1: well let's 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 talk about some totally different topic here trump and you know that's you know not a week goes by where we can't talk about trump's legal issues the um there's a, a couple of things even though this is another light week i would say there are a couple of significant yeah he opinions. only had to, one is,
0: he's only got one trial appearance this week so it's, it's a light week for him <laughs>
1: You know what? One really notable moment was in the civil trial in New York. Ivanka Trump is being called to testify, and Trump does not seem happy about it. Jason,
0: yeah, um, here's the deal, and this is, I alluded to this at the top of the show that if you can take yourself back in time to like 2017 when Trump was hiring Jared Kushner and he was hiring Ivanka. And everybody was like, and he was putting them in like real positions, like the kind of positions that uh, if you were watching the opening credits of the West Wing, like their their jobs would have been in the opening credits, right? Like like right. real jobs in the West Wing, really being in the Oval Office and advising and, and being in on the big meetings. And everybody was apoplectic because at that time it was quaint. We didn't know that he wanted to be Mussolini. We, we just thought, well, he's really, you can't do that. And now that sort of you can't do that seems ridiculous because it, it's so you can't so many you can't do that to go, but I remember at the time thinking uh, that he's not doing this because of their qualifications, and everybody was saying, well, "What is Jared Kushner's qualification for this? What is Ivanka's you know qualification for this?" And the point was that's not the point. The point is he wanted people who wouldn't talk to the FBI. He it's the same reason as as being made very clear by the evidence in this uh, civil case against the Trump organization, it's the same reason that he wanted his kids to be at the top of that organization. I mean, when you think back to that show, The Apprentice, who did he have most of the time on his left and on his right? It was you know, his son and his daughter, sometimes that guy, George, who I assume is not alive anymore, but for the most part, it was those, those two people, because if you're going to do crimes, have accomplices that are blood or that are family because they're less likely to testify against you or to talk to the FBI. That's why we should have learned this in mafia movies. That's all it is. It's organized crime. And so it is fascinating now that uh, she is going to have to go in and testify. And the arguments they're making against it are spurious. You know, well, she was in the White House by this time, so she didn't know about the crimes as if there was some sort of, you know, ethical wall between the two. And we know there was not. And then his arguments, which make no sense, I mean, they're just word scrambles where he says, well, she was dismissed as a defendant, so she can't be made to testify, which, you know, makes about as much sense as saying I had peanut butter a week ago, so I don't (laughs) need a salad. I mean, they have nothing to do with each other.
1: Yeah, you know, the small, small but important moments here. Trump was fined $10,000 on Wednesday um, for a second violation of a gag order. Um, He went after the judge. Uh, Arthur Ergeron as unhinged and out of control and nut job. Um, he says, I truly believe he is crazy, but certainly at a minimum crazed in his hatred of me. It's interesting if you like, if Biden, this is like a footnote to Trump's like antics and legal issues. If if Biden was fined for, you know, and given a gag order in court, just could you imagine just that one fact, just if, it's just, yeah. if that was the only thing he ever did. I mean, there would be censure and impeachment, like just for that one fact, um and yeah. this is like a quiet week for trump
0: yeah, uh, yeah, all he got all all that happened was that he was fined by a judge uh, for yes it's but you know the 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 whole comparing the two like it it actually doesn't matter and it doesn't work, and it's super frustrating, and he does operate on his own set of standards, and it is a double it's it's a quadruple standard, but What I keep trying to go back to, to gain perspective, is that if you had told me or you or any other liberal a few years ago, Trump's going to be in court in several different states. You're not even going to be able to keep track of how many places he's the defendant. And Ivanka is going to have to come and testify against him. I'd have been like, you need to not get your hopes up about that kind of thing. That's not going to happen. Just focus on what matters, (laughs) you know, but it's happening. It's a problem for him. Yeah,
1: and uh, well, you know another another issue for him. You know, this morning I've been on um, India and London time, so I've been waking up crazy early. And I found uh, this place, like this like twenty four hour bagel shop that's open up early in the morning. And I've gone there the past two days, uh, incidentally run by a guy from Staten Island. And I just was sitting there and work, and he plays New York one on the TV. while I'm working, and I and I turned my head today because it was this story about Rudy Giuliani. Uh, selling his New York City penthouse or apartment, maybe penthouse is too generous, okay. but apartment for $7 million. Uh, and that he had knocked down the price to six because there weren't takers. It's not a seller's market right now or buyer's market. It's a bad market. Uh, and it made me think, well, what's going on here? And then this article popped up in The Guardian talking about not just Rudy Giuliani, but Bannon. Um and uh Lindell are all in f- disputes with their lawyers over unpaid legal bills. Um and so in October a law firm formally asked the court to allow it to withdraw from representing Lindell, who's supposed to have money, I guess, um, citing millions of dollars that it's owed. Um, a lawyer for Bannon and Giuliani, this guy Robert Costello, uh, claims that the two owe 1.4 million. Um in the case of Giuliani and 480000 in the case of Bannon and a court judgment has been issued against Bannon for the $480,000. So interesting to me. Like, this is where these guys are.
0: Um, yeah, these are rich dudes and they I are thought, running out of yeah. money. I yeah. mean, Ju- Giuliani's got to sell that place because all he's got left is assets. He's got to turn assets into cash to pay lawyers to try and stay out of jail. Um, that's, nah, that's appropriate. <laughs> It's what it is. I mean, I mean we we
1: brought this up before, but like Trump is truly, like he gets away. Like the idea that he's got these people following him and continue to defend him. And he's hanging them out to dry like this is unbelievable. I mean, it's believable and unbelievable at the same time. Like, yeah.
0: They all have to hang on now to the idea that they'll be pardoned by him. Because it's the reason that they're having to pay all these bills to try to stay out of prison and at the end of the day it's a delaying action it's right. stay in the game long enough for mussolini to get elected president and pardon you that's really what they got not, it's not like any of them are being tried in places where the juries are really likely to be amenable to their to their arguments
1: well okay in in one really substantive perhaps uh, turn of events. Um, there's a lawsuit in Colorado filed by six Colorado voters with the help of a watchdog group called Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington uh, and this lawsuit argues that Trump is ineligible to hold office under Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment, which disqualifies anyone who's engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution after having taken an oath to support it uh, and this thing is going to trial now um mm-hmm. and the plaintiffs say that. Uh, basically, Trump engaged in the insurrection. And what's fascinating about this case is that the plaintiffs include Democrats and Republicans, but the defendant is not just Trump, but the Colorado Secretary of State. I'm interested in your take on this. Who is a Democrat who has to defend, I guess, Trump? Uh, your, your friend wrote an article about this, John uh, Hendrickson over at the Atlantic, just about how strange the posture of this whole thing is.
0: Well, that's that's how it works. When you sue the state, particularly over an election issue, uh, the secretary of state is naturally the defendant. It's why if you look, if you go in the Missouri court system and you look me up, I've I've been sued many many times, but it's because of my four years as secretary of state. You're the named defendant. Um, it's the secretary of state of Colorado. Uh, Janet Griswold is a, is a Democrat, a, a, a progressive one. Um, I don't know what her stance is on this lawsuit, but I'm pretty sure that she's like not used to being a co-defendant with Trump. Um, and, and she's not in the real sense of it, right? The state has to, uh, you know, she, they have to put up a defense. You have to take a nonpartisan approach. What's also interesting to me um, is that the attorney for Trump is a guy named Scott Gessler, Scott Gessler is the former secretary of state of Colorado, the former Republican secretary of state of Colorado. Uh, he and I were elected around the same time um, and we served together. And I remember what I remember best about Scott Gessler is being in a, in a room of uh, secretaries of state with him in 2018. 20- 13, I think, uh, and beginning in 2013, where he was complaining about the requirements of military ballots and how he didn't want to have to do all this stuff to accommodate military ballots. I don't know. That's just what I remember about the guy, and it makes me laugh. Uh, because the federal government was like, no, you're gonna do it. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, like so. The argument here is the argument is not a bad argument. I mean, that if you can prove that he engaged in insurrection against the Constitution, then the It's not a law you're interpreting. The Constitution says that he can't stand for office. So I think the question comes down to what counts as having proved that. Does he need to have been convicted? Uh, Can you try that evidence in your own court, your own state court, and decide? I think it's an interesting question.
1: Yeah, I think the challenge is it's going to eventually, even if they get a favorable ruling here, everything's going to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Right. And it's hard to imagine yeah, and- you got the votes on the U.S. Supreme Court right now for this.
0: No, you don't. Um, although, it wouldn't surprise me if, if it were in a vacuum that there was a majority of people on the U.S. Supreme Court who would rather rid themselves of Trump. Um, but at the end of the day, sadly, the environment we live in, it's not just that they're partisan. It's that I would imagine they'd be afraid of physical threats if they were to rule in that direction. Hmm. At the end of the day, I just think they can't because of that.
1: Yeah, well, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, let, let's shift focus to uh, something that caught my eye. On and, you know, there's this is a, not an interesting primary, Jason. Like at mm-hmm. least at the moment, maybe it'll get more interesting as we get closer to the Iowa caucuses. But one thing that was fascinating is that um, multiple candidates, most notably Ron DeSantis, are going after Trump. Uh, for his age, the DeSantis campaign uh, put out a Trump accident tracker to compile uh, the uh, former president's verbal slips on the trail. Uh, he's asked, uh, DeSantis says, whether Trump had the stamina to be president, um, a word that Trump often used against Hillary Clinton. Um, and obviously, Trump loves to go after Biden. Uh, and you know, one of the clips that's been circulating is this video of Trump mixing up Joe Biden, with another former president. Uh, Let's go to this clip.
2: As you know, crooked Joe Biden and the radical left thugs who have weaponized law enforcement to arrest their leading political opponent, leading by a lot, including Obama. I'll tell you what, you take a look at Obama and take a look at some of the things that he's done. This is the same thing. The country is very divided. And we did with Obama. We won an election that everyone said couldn't be won.
1: What the hell is that? Like, honestly, like...
0: It's as soon as he goes off the prompter.
1: So, and right. he's also, this is not a one-off. So, he's mixed up Jeb Bush and George George W. Bush recently. Um, he uh, called the Hungarian Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, the leader of Turkey um, before the Israel-Hamas war broke, war broke out. Uh, Trump warned a crowd that Biden would lead the U.S. into World War II, which ended in 1945. Uh, he told a Sioux City crowd in Iowa he was happy to be in Sioux Falls. I could keep going, but should, well, is he too old to be president, Jason? I,
0: I don't think he's too old to be president, um, but a few things on this. One, I mean, I don't think he should be president, but that's not my main reason. Right. Um, for Let's just take these in order. And I'm going to sound like I'm excusing them, but I want to look at them individually as somebody who pretty much ran for president and has run all over the country doing stuff. And, and even even before that, running all over the state doing stuff, it's hard to keep track of where you are. <laughs> like Sioux City, Sioux Falls is if, as an isolated incident. You could see that happening. Um, I can remember being at a campaign stop when I was running for the uh, I think I was running for the Senate. Uh, and I was with the attorney general, who was running for governor, and he referred to we were in Moberly, and he talked about Macon. You know, and it, it happens, right? Um, that said, uh, you know, you put that one aside. Mixing up Obama and Biden, that seems like we're getting into cognitive territory. The World War II thing is weird. Here's my theory: I don't think at this point with Trump, I don't think it's age. I don't think the dude is sleeping because if you had, if I were on trial in multiple venues for my life, like I could, I'm likely to end up with a prison sentence and my only way to avoid it were were to get elected president of the United States and pardon myself, I would lose a lot of sleep, like all the sleep, like I would get no sleep. So that's my theory. My theory is that it's probably not an issue of aging. It is an issue of the dude is completely sleep deprived because He's scared to death that he's about to go to prison for good reason.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, it would be interesting if the Biden team seizes on this to try to muddy the waters. I mean, this is something that, like, because Biden, we've talked about this previously, his age, regardless of what anybody listening to this or watching this thinks, is something that the voters seem to care about, including Mm -hmm. Democratic voters. Uh, And one thing that the Republicans do really well is taking one of their liabilities and not making it a strength but making it also the other side's liability. A good example of this is how they've somehow convinced significant amount of voters that Biden is as corrupt as Trump, right? right? So that's like their goal is not to win the issue, but to not lose it overwhelmingly. Yeah. And I think that's what we could do on age. I think that's what Democrats could do on age.
0: And what, what I would say, what I would remind people of is that when this comes up, because it's going to come up a lot over the next 12 months, is to point out that Donald Trump and Joe Biden were in high school at the same time, because once you turn like 25 and you, when you meet someone who was in high school at the same time as you, you generally consider them to be the same age as you. This is just part of adulthood. So Joe Biden and Donald Trump were in high school at the same time. They're the same age. Okay. Uh, so. That's that's how I think about it.
1: Well, okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to welcome a special guest to talk about some fascinating uh, dynamics in the general election and size up Biden's chances uh, under a, a series of different scenarios. And if we have time, we'll look ahead to the next Tuesday election and, and point your way to some important races happening. All of this and more when we come back. This episode is sponsored by Rune. If you're like me, You understand the pains of finding what to wear most clothes are uncomfortable they may be too tight they never you know actually fit your size because you know a lot of us are not exactly small medium-large extra large we're complicated sometimes when you find something you like you can only wear it for a few hours before that important meeting or dinner and then you have to change into something else and everyone wants to dress their best you want to look good at all times and frankly it's a confidence booster so here's the deal men's closets were due for a radical reinvention and Rhone stepped up to the challenge. Rhone's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man, and here's why. Roan helps you get ready for any occasion with the commuter collection, which offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, and polos. You never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Roan commuter collection. And here's some anecdote. I'm wearing my Roan pants right now, and last week I was at a wedding. I wore my Roan uh, button-down shirt to the wedding at a formal wedding and i will also wear it tomorrow when i just you know go into a coffee shop to have a meeting it's that versatile so it's time to feel confident without the hassle with roan's wrinkle release technology wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products it's that easy yeah i actually you know not so neatly folded that shirt in my bag for the wedding and i was able to take it out and Automatically, I was able to put it on. It looked like I had ironed it, but I didn't. You know, it's an inside secret between us. So, with Gold Fusion anti odor technology, you'll also be smelling fresh and clean all day. On top of that, Rone is 100% machine washable, so you can dish the dry cleaner all together. We're on the move a lot, and the Rone Commuter Collection has never let me down. The versatility and overall comfort of the collection is undefeated. I absolutely love it. And even after I wear it all day, I feel super fresh because that Gold Fusion. Fusion anti odor technology at that wedding I was dancing up a storm wore it no problems so the community collection can get you through any work day and straight into whatever comes next so head to rhone.com majority and use the promo code majority to save 20% off your entire order that's 20% off your entire order when you head to r h o n e.com slash majority and use the code majority it's time to find your corner office comfort <laughs>
0: Ravi, it has been a little while since we had a guest on this show, but we are about to welcome a guest uh, for a very specific reason, uh, which is that there is this like political asteroid on the horizon that we have really not talked about on the show that some of our listeners probably have heard about. uh, And that is this organization, No Labels, and the effort that they're pushing from a centrist perspective to try and basically muck up what's going what's going to happen in the general election between Trump and Biden. And a lot of people believe that it could end up pushing the election to Trump. But it's actually scarier than that, as was brought to our attention by my friend, Caitlin Lagacki, who reached out and said, hey, at Third Way, there's all this work that's being done, uh, and they're pushing back against this, and they're trying to sound the alarm about this scheme that No Labels has to upend American democracy. And so with that, we said, hey, let's let's bring on somebody from Third Way. Uh, so Kate DeGroyder is with us. She's uh, Third Way Senior Director of Communications. As the Director of Communications at Third Way, Kate is focused on using new media to share innovative ideas with policymakers, advocates and the public. She's leading the effort to develop online campaigns that advance the conversation around third ways, future-oriented policy solutions and engage leaders in the digital space. But also primarily she's here today to tell us why we should be afraid and what we can do about it. So Kate, welcome.
3: Hi, great to be with you both.
0: Thanks for being here. Okay. Take the floor. Tell us what it is that's happening with no labels. Let's just start there. What what is this?
3: So No Labels is a dark money group based out of Washington, D.C. They've been around for a little over a decade, and they've mostly focused on congressional um, activities, trying to build um, bipartisan bonds between the D's and the R's. But what they've done new now is that they are starting to play in the presidential cycle. They have decided that they are going to work on running a third-party presidential ticket for the 2024 campaign. They are working on ballot access in all 50 states. And their goal is to run a Republican and a Democrat together on the same ticket. They call it a unity ticket. And for a long time, they have claimed that they could win the election outright. I will be just blunt. That is a preposterous fantasy. And we can talk about that a bit more. Uh, But what we've observed recently is that their strategy has shifted. And our concern is that their new plan is that they are going to try and use this third party ticket to... um, to run a Republican for president in order to get a couple of electoral, uh, votes that they would be able to use to negotiate in a contingent election to try and influence the outcome. It would be incredibly dangerous for our democracy and we're deeply concerned.
0: Okay. Explain more about that. Um, because it is very scary. Um, well, let's actually, first let's go to because there's, there could be people listening who are like, well, a Republican and a Democrat running together, if they could win, maybe that could be cool. Like a lot of, you know, I mean, I think like um, somebody like somebody like myself who wouldn't necessarily know, like if, if I didn't know the details of no labels and what they're after and what the political dynamics would be, given the chaos that we're experiencing in our politics, maybe I'm somebody who could be like, Well, maybe that's a fresh start. I don't know. So explain why you say that's not going to work. That's not really what they're about, and that can't win anyway.
3: So third parties in American politics have never been successful. They have only been spoilers. And our concern is that the path to victory that No Labels is claiming exists for them is totally made up. And let me paint you a picture of that. Oh, great. You've got the map. So this is the map of their path to victory, and they are claiming that they can win states that Joe Biden, and to be candid, even Donald Trump won by double digits. This is a laughable map. And independent experts on the left, right and center have agreed that there is zero chance that this is possible. They are claiming that they can win Delaware, the president's home state. That is (laughs) not going to happen. It is funny, right? Except for um, the outcome that they would achieve is quite different. So we had stumbled across this polling that they put out last week, and if you look carefully at it, in a head-to-head race where it is Biden versus Trump, Biden actually has the votes and the states necessary to win the Electoral College and a second term. What happens when a third party is in the race? And I would just note the No Labels party has raised $70 million. That is just for their ballot access campaign. They have a lot of money, so that is orders of magnitude more than Jill Stein had in 2016. And we saw what a disastrous impact that had for Democrats. If they choose to run a Democrat at the top of the ticket, as you see in the right column, Donald Trump rolls to victory in the battlegrounds. That is a Trump reelection right there. There is no opportunity for them to have leverage. And um, and honestly, we're all in, in grave trouble if that's what happens. What they have said recently is that they might try to do the middle column, which is to run a Republican for their presidential ticket. The map here, uh, the chart here shows they actually don't win all of the states that were decided by less than three points in 2020, which helps to illustrate that there is absolutely no path for them to win all of the states that would be needed for them to claim that they could win 270 electoral votes. If you can't win Pennsylvania, if you can't win states like Georgia and um, North Carolina, as you see here, they're certainly not going to win states that went for Joe Biden by 10 to 30 points. So that means they can only be a spoiler. And, And if they are able in this scenario to win a few votes, they think that they might have leverage to try and approach faithless electors, which we heard a lot about in the last cycle. There are about a third of states where electors are not required by law to vote in accordance with a vote in their state. And No Labels has actually been on national television talking about this scenario where they might be trying to persuade some of their electors to change their votes. The problem is that is likely to trigger the 12th Amendment and to throw the 2024 election to a vote of the House. Now, we have all just lived through the chaos of the past three weeks, and I can tell you that the idea of the House trying to pick the president would make the last couple weeks look tame.
1: And and when you say that it goes to the House, this is not a majority of um, House members, it's a majority of states, right? Which all but assures that Republicans would win under that scenario.
3: That is correct. So in the scenario of a contingent election, the House doesn't vote where each member gets one vote. The way it would work is that each state delegation gets one vote. That means the 600,000 people in Wyoming have the same vote as the 39 million people in California. Right now, and for a number of years since the 2010 cycle, Republicans have held a majority of state delegations. They have 26 out of 50. There's a couple that are tied. Democrats right now have 22. The expectation is that even if Democrats do extremely well in the 2024 election, and even if we are able to take back the House of Representatives, there is not a credible path for Democrats to have a majority of state delegations. We just are not going to win in the places to make that, um, make that happen in the cards. So, what the reality is, is that this House of Representatives, uh, the the Republican caucus, it, following the leadership of Mike Johnson, are clearly going to vote to reelect Donald Trump. And so this scenario, you know, we we all saw the chaos and the danger that played out in on January 6th. And we know um, just how threadbare our democracy has been. An effort like this to try and create a moment of leverage at this point for our democracy would be incredibly dangerous and incredibly damaging.
0: So why is No Labels doing this? I mean, because, you know, they they started when I was still in politics, and, and I remember them reaching out to me. I never really did anything with them, but they seemed to, at that time, genuinely come from a place of, like, centrism and wanting to move the debate to a more moderate place. So what is happening here?
3: You know, I... I can't speak for no labels. Um, I will say we have observed that, you know, they seem to be sincere that they think that um, they, you know, they say they don't want to elect Donald Trump. Our concern is that the strategy that they have in place and the actions they are taking are going to result directly in that outcome that they are seeking. And so they are planning their nominating convention. Um, It has been scheduled for April 2024, where they would nominate the ticket um, that would run on this third party ballot line. They have just moved up the date from April 2024 to March of 2024. So um, they they seem a bit dug in. Um, and so that's why we are really working to sound the alarm about what the impact would be of this strategy. Um, and that, you know, ultimately we know that this is going to be a very close election. We know that small differences around the margins could make an enormous difference, in, especially in the right places. No Labels is focused primarily on states that backed Joe Biden in 2020. Um, I can give you a picture of why we're so concerned that this is going to be something that wounds Joe Biden and Democrats more than Republicans. If you look at just the three um, blue wall states, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, Donald Trump won those states in 2016. Joe Biden won all three of them in 2020. What actually happened, though, was um, Donald Trump's margin and total number of votes didn't go down from 16 to 2020. It went up. The reason that Joe Biden was able to prevail is because there was a steep decline in the number of third party voters. And Joe Biden succeeded in adding those people to his coalition. Um, And so... Where they are running, the places they are getting on the ballot, they are currently on the ballot in 12 states. That includes Arizona, which was decided by about 10,000 votes. Um, they're also on the ballot in Nevada and North Carolina, and we know that they are underway in, in dozens of more states. This is not the moment to try and suggest that um, the, the extremes on the left and the right are any way equal. I think sober minds would rightly note that, you know, to compare... Uh, you know, Donald Trump with ninety-one charges against him to Joe Biden is um, a preposterous false equivalence. We are a centrist organization. Third way is, is been proudly in the center left. We used to have a lot um, of issues where we might have overlapped with no labels. We are deeply concerned that what they are doing is advancing Republican interests in this moment. Um and so that's why we're we're leading the charge to fight back.
0: Uh, okay, well, I'm petrified. Uh, Robbie. before I get to the last question, do you have any?
3: Well, I think,
1: like, are these people persuadable? Like, you know, like the people who are running this? Like, is there anything we can do to stop them, like, from even going there?
3: Part of our, our work has been to try and keep credible um, leaders off of that ticket. They are... they are um, resolute in saying that they only want to run if they can win. I know that you've probably heard rumors that um, Joe Manchin is somebody that they had pursued. Um, It's our expectation based on what we're seeing that that is no longer on the table for no labels. Um, Our hope is that Senator Manchin continues to um, run in the Senate. We know that that is a seat that would be very difficult for anybody but Joe Manchin to hold going forward. Um, but there are a number of other folks that are rumored prospects for no labels, and we want to make sure that they understand this is a move to become Jill Stein 2.0. <laughs> Your legacy will be single-handedly helping reelect Donald Trump, which I think for a lot of folks would make them think twice about joining this effort. And we're also asking Democrats to really speak out about the threat that this effort will pose to the, the pro democracy majority. Um, there are a lot of soft partisan voters in the Democratic coalition. We know that Joe Biden and the Democrats worked hard to build uh, the coalition that we needed to defeat Donald Trump last year. Our concern is that this there are more shaky voters in, in the Democratic coalition than the Republican coalition. And so anything that lowers the ceiling and helps Trump win um, is dangerous. And so third parties in 2024 are likely to help Trump. And especially no labels because they are the best funded and they are going right at the swing voters who are going to decide the next election.
0: Okay, well, I'm scared now. Uh, people listening, what, what can people listening do? Like, what, what, what are, What's the ask?
3: So I would say be on the lookout. They are organizing in states around the country. We've heard from places as far as Wyoming to Maine where they are trying to get on the ballot um they have had some reputation of pursuing some pretty anti-democratic tactics there are somewhere near a thousand folks in Maine who were um, who were forced to change their party registration and and really were duped into it um, and so there have been some legal action with the Secretary of State in in Maine um, to address that issue be on the lookout um, and be encouraging your legislators to be speaking out about this what Helps no labels is for uh, Democrats, people who are active in politics, um, donors and whatnot is to dismiss the impact that this would have. Um, We really need to sound the alarm. We've got a narrow amount of time before they nominate a ticket in March of 2024. Um, Once they put that ticket out there, it it becomes a lot harder to pull it down off the ballot. Um, And so that's really our window uh, um, to act.
0: Okay. Uh, thank you very much for for joining us and scaring us and and telling us what we can scaring do. Scaring the it. crap so, out
3: of you. Yeah. You know, yeah.
0: So we will just you know, I get it's the day after Halloween, so it's totally fine. Um, this time right now. Yeah. Thanks for joining thank us. Thank
3: you both.
0: Okay. Uh, Ravi, we had a guest. We haven't done that in so long.
1: Yeah. We you know as I, I know as we get closer to the election, we'll keep doing more. That tends to be when we heat up.
0: Yeah, and get like serious about things. Um. All right. Well, we've come to the end. Uh, you just had like the most amazing trip yeah, so whole tell month us about away.
1: it. yeah there's there's a lot that'll show up in this eventual um show that I'm producing with Crooked. but you know one really interesting moment was i on the final day of my trip, I went to uh my the village that my dad grew up in with my dad, who hadn't been there in thirty years, and in this is a village in India for people who um Aren't familiar with the background, and it's a super remote village in Uttar Pradesh in in India. And uh, when we're driving out there, the guy who you know we drove from a different city, the the driver was like, "This is the remote place, remotest place in India I've ever been to." This is an Indian saying that. (laughs) And we get to town, and uh, my dad had on his phone this photo. He only owns one photo of himself because he grew up in extreme poverty, the youngest of nine as a kid. And he pulls out this photo as we get to like the center of town, this town he hadn't been to in 30 years. And he's kind of on a quest to find anybody in town that he would have known as a kid because my dad is 70 now and life expectancy is not very good in this town. And so my dad was worried there would be nobody left who remembered him. And the second person we talked to was actually one of the people in the photo. And so there's this very heartwarming (laughs) moment of my dad talking to this guy in the photo. It was great. The whole trip was amazing. Um, I'm, I'm glad to be back in the States, but I was, I was gone for a month, but it was, it was really cool to see so much of India and especially to end on such a high note.
0: And that you, you captured that moment on your Instagram. So people can go to Robbie's Instagram and they can see it. Here's my question. Um, you know, one of the things we've talked about a lot on the show in the past and that you and I have talked about a lot is your relationship with your dad, which is, uh, strained over time for a variety of reasons. But one of those reasons is your dad is a Trump guy. Yeah. Um, and you know, newly, he's you know, sort of a, re- a born again, Trump guy type, you know, late in life has become his part of his identity and it's restrained your relationship. And you just spent a bunch of time with your dad in another country. Yep. And I'm just wondering, did that kind of take some of that layer of the relationship away? And like, how was the trip with your dad?
1: Yeah, we didn't talk about American politics a lot. We did talk about Indian politics, which you know in some ways mirrors what what happens here, but it is, it is quite different. Um, and and the way he he kind of interacts with the sort of the sort of ideology of sort of BJP in India and Congress Party is different than he does here. I think he's a little bit more generous spirit to. Uh, the Congress party than he would say the Democratic Party. Um, but it was helpful. I mean, you know, I, I learned a lot about my dad. Like, you know, his father was this uh, guy who was part of Gandhi's resistance, like the resistance to the British. And he had been, my grandfather, a cloth merchant who imported British cloth and then gave up the family business uh, in resistance to the British and thrust the family into poverty. And my dad is the youngest of nine. So by the time he was born, my grandfather was really an old man. And so he was kind of like my dad's grandfather. And one thing I kind of learned from people in town and from my dad while we we're there is my dad didn't really have a relationship with his dad. His dad didn't really talk to him much. And so at least it helped me understand like the model of fatherhood that my dad grew up with <laughs> and like what he, like, you know, like he, you, you know, he was kind of an absent dad at various points in my life. And like, that at least helped explain a little bit of that. Um so that was that was interesting to see and he was a totally eclectic my grandfather. Like uh, there's somebody in the village told me this story of how my grandfather um, just one day decided to be a doctor. He had never he basically had like an 8th grade education. But he just like he's like hey, I'm a doctor. And he just started treating people in town and he became quite like like busy like treating people all the time and one day he was at the train station waiting to go somewhere and somebody from town ran and got him and said hey my daughter's sick Uh, i need you to treat them so he went and treated them but from then forward he let the town know i'm not a doctor anymore because he didn't want to be bothered he (laughs) he he wanted to go on like his trips and you know he didn't want to have a busy schedule that's the kind of but he he did
0: treat patients for years yeah yeah right so that sounds like somebody i know who just you know not that you would pretend to be a doctor but somebody who you know, just has many For different sure. eclectic chapters in their life. That's you, man. That's For really sure. interesting. Yeah,
1: he's, he definitely seems like a stubborn guy in the ways that I, like I recognize. Uh, but it was cool. It was a really valuable trip. I think I have a lot to say about India that I I'll distill into this show that I'm producing, but, and it's a country that has a lot of interesting pivot points uh, right now to say the least, but it was cool. What about you, man? What's happened in your world?
0: Uh, you know, I, I have this big project that I'm not able to talk about yet that you know about. Um, so I can't get into that. That's the biggest thing that's happened in the last couple of weeks that, you know, at some point in the, in the relatively near future, I'll be able to talk about. I guess what I would say uh, instead is that uh, last night was um, Halloween and it was great because it was the first Halloween, uh, you know, really where she could participate for my daughter, who's three, Bella, and uh, also the first actual first Halloween for all of the roofie kids. For those who don't listen to the show all the time, the roofies are uh, the Afghan family who um, my my wife and I played a role in helping them get here. And now they're pretty much part of our family. They live down the road from us. Uh, and so we all went trick or treating together. And I just have these awesome videos of uh, Madia, who's eight years old, uh, and she's still working on her English. But while all the boys and girls were running around, including True and Trigger treating at top speed like it was a hit workout, uh, she never let go of Bella's hand. Bella was dressed as a little firefighter and just like totally big sistered Bella the entire time, and it was adorable. And so that was really cool uh, and just a great you know add to the list of great family experiences between our family and theirs. So that was nice. Oh, amazing! Uh, well, wow. yeah, it was. I'm cool. excited it for you to cool, be able so. to
1: share your your project whenever.
0: Ready to Yeah, I don't know describe. when that's gonna happen, but it is yeah. it is very cool. So all right. Uh remember to subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts, just search Majority 54 and please leave a five-star review. Thank you to the Midas Mighty. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.